You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Another lovely sunny day here in TW11. It's Wednesday, June the 14th, just six days out from Royal Ascot. Lots to bring you through the next 35, 40 minutes or so, including an in-depth interview with the pile drivers trainer, William Muir, a report from this morning at Ascot with the Racing Post, Maddie Playle will be heading to France to assess what the French challenge might look like for Royal Ascot. And that has been depleted by one and one very significant horse because I spoke to Jean-Claude Rouget, most successful trainer in European racing history this morning by number of winners trained. And I asked him about Erivan who was a, a third favourite, as short as 9-2 to two in some lists for the Queen Anne Stakes that opens the meeting on Tuesday. And I said, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Royal Ascot, Jean-Claude. And he said, oh, well, Monsieur Rouget, obviously. And he said, I am not coming. We will wait for something else. So that was his brief assessment of the situation. But that perhaps strengthens Charlie Appleby's hand on the Queen Anne Stakes even further with Modern Games, the five-time Group 1 winner, set to take on the classic winner and champion juvenile native trail. Don't forget John Gosden's in spiral between the two as I welcome Rishi Passad into the show this morning. Rishi, uh, Erevan out, Appleby with two, in spiral coming back. What are you expecting from the curtain raiser? Oh, uh, hopefully fireworks between modern games and in spiral. I, I think modern games is the, the solid choice, Nick, and I, I hope that uh, he continues to excel at the top level because he's such a likable individual i mean obviously you've seen him a couple of times with the breeders cup and and on locking day he's just such a reliable individual he's the kind of horse that you feel that he sets the barometer really for how the meeting might go for the appleby team because he's the most reliable of all the horses uh that charlie appleby's on un, uh, uh, unleashed this season and you would think that if he runs well it bodes well for the rest of the appleby team but if he doesn't considering he's so reliable that it might be a little bit of a uh, a concern um i think he has the edge over everything else native trail is fascinating though because of course 12 months ago he was ahead of modern games in the pecking order but it's fair to say that whilst one has continued on the rise the other has plateaued perhaps dipped native trail it's fair to say um in spiral she's had a, two runs against the colts one she won uh in france the other time of course she came up short against modern games uh, amongst others in the in the QE2, but that was at the end of the season. Uh, she obviously goes well fresh, as she showed last year. So I think it's exciting, but I think Modern Games is the is the horse that is the solid selection, but a big marker for the Appleby team, first up. And they'll be pleased to see the back of, of Erevan because Erevan is out of uh, Jean-Claude Rouget's own Coronation Stakes winner, Evedia, and wasn't that far behind in Spiral in last year's Jacques Lemarois. So that is actually quite a significant absentee. It is. It's a disappointment, really, from the international perspective as well, because uh, you know the more international horses you get, the better. And I, I'd say that the the contribution from France so far, and perhaps over the last couple of years, has been a little bit thin on the ground by uh, comparison to previous years. Obviously, Vadeni uh, has has been here uh, and and competed very well, but it's just uh, you'd like to see a little bit more quality, a little bit more. Uh, numbers as well from the, the French challengers, but it, it just looks a little bit thin uh, in comparison to some of the, the glory years that we recall. So where are the French at Royal Ascot? The man to, to answer that question is 
uh, Adrien Cunhas from Jour de Gallo, uh, who's a, a regular correspondent here. Adrien, we love seeing the good French horses. You know, days of Solo, Goldicova, Avedja, they don't seem too far away, but they're slim pickings. What's happening? Well, I, I, I think we have uh, less horses in France now and probably less good horses than we used to have 10 years ago or, or in the past. But uh, this year, I think there is three horses that could make the trip to Royal Ascot. And the, the most likely is Big Cole, the stayer of, of uh, Mr. Ferland. You don't know where the staying power comes from his pedigree, but this uncle's Castoff is restaying and he's going to trace change in the Gold Cup. Uh, Fabrice Chappé is a classic trainer also based in Chantilly. I have, have two horses to feel easy. He could come to, 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 to Royal Oscot. They were in the list of the Diana, but he had decided to, to reroute them to, to England. There is Crown Princess, which is uh, really likely to come for, some, for the Ribblesdale Stakes. And Paz, uh, she's no more in the Diana 2. And, and there is an hesitation to come to the Coronation Stakes. Uh, Fabrice Chappé is the man of many challenges and she's owned by uh, the Chambure family and they, they, are, they also like the, the challenge of running a, horse, a good horse in England. We might have thought quite quite realistically that Fabrice Chappé might be here with a horse like Ernesto but he seems to be sidelined, there's no Vidani. we just heard about uh, the other uh, Rouget Aga Khan horse Erevan, I, mean, I don't know why the horse isn't coming but Jean-Claude just said I'm not coming. Uh, absolutely, and uh, Onesto is, is, uh, has a few issues. I've been told, and he's out for the count. Uh, well, it's uh, it's, uh, it's it's a bit sad because it would have been extremely interesting to to to, to see to see him again, and and of course, long term plans. He, he, we would have hoped to see uh, Vadeni again uh, in England Island, but um, it seems that he won't be seen before the end of the summer. So, but that's not actually good news but we hope this horse is going to recover and, and go back at the best and, and another uh, slightly good horse is a sprinter Coeur de Pierre trained in Chantilly by the Spanish Maurice Zielcher and this morning he told me that no rain and it means no rain as good for the horse and uh, I think one of the most talented trainer in among the French young grants is Jérôme Renier. He had two horses my last Ritournel and Pacteur Cheval. And he says no for both of them. So as you say, it's gonna be a very, very small contingent of French trainer this year in Brian Ascot, sadly. I know you keep your eye on what's going on in Spain as well, and we were expecting a Spanish runner for the first time since Nuzo Canarias at Royal Ascot. That's not gonna happen either, but there's a there's a slightly more sinister undertone to this. Just just tell me what's happening in Spain. Yeah, very sadly, there is a breakthrough of equine flu in San Sebastian, in, in the Pais Vasco. And uh, it seems that it's not official yet, but uh, it seems that it's going to be official. There is this equine flu outbreak in, in Madrid too. So this horse, Oleron, which is a son of the Canarias, uh, he, he was supposed to, to come for a group here Alaska, but he's stuck because of this um, uh, uh, equine flu problem. So that's a bit sad because it would have been a big momentum for Spanish racing to have Bruna in Royal Ascot. A big motivation for the owners, for the breeders, but such is life with horses, sadly. Yeah, and and that could impact on on those stables in the southwest of France, couldn't it? Yes, because, you know, uh, 
probably in France you have uh, a few some years you have a third of the runners in French racing over the years that are non-based in French. A lot of Spanish, a lot of Central Europe, a lot of Germans, and this, in the Southwest you have in many many races one or two runners from Spain because prize money is very low in Spain, and they don't have many races, not enough for the number of horses, so they run very often. So there is a stress, and I had a few phone calls and texts from Southwest trainers in France say. They were asking me what is happening in Spain, and they really don't want to to catch the the flu and to have health problems in the in their yard. So I, I'm going to try to find more official news from Spain today, and and uh, and and but there is a chance that uh, no um, Spanish trainers, of course, in Real Scott, but in France, even in lower categories, in the next few weeks, if 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 this equine flu problem is 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 uh, is still there in in, in the next days. Adrian, thanks for your time today. Welcome. Adrian Cunhas there with some quite alarming news about what's happening in Spain and potentially could impact the southwest of France and also talking about the likely challenge for Royal Ascot from some of the French horses. Rishi Passad is back with me. Rishi, we began by talking about a blue on blue in the Queen Anne, native trail against modern games. It could be that William Buick's Next best chance of a winner on the opening day is for George Bowie. Uh, Bowie, the, the most upwardly mobile trainer in Europe, you could you could argue, has got a, a squad of 20 going to, to Royal Ascot. He had a media day yesterday and all eyes were on a Sadner, the horse who is heading most lists for the Coventry Stakes. Yeah, what an exciting horse uh, this son of Memas looks. The performance of Rippon obviously has garnered a lot of attention. Yes, he won by 12 lengths, but the time figure that he clocked in producing that uh, impressive visual victory uh, has got those time experts purring about what he might be able to do going going ahead. Obviously, what he did on the day uh, suggests that he is well above average already. And the fact that um, uh, you know that he, he was able to win by twelve lengths geared down uh, suggests that he he's going to probably be a horse that I think a lot of people will have taken massive note of. And he's going to be one of the one of the hype horses, one of the talking horses in the Coventry. I like the fact that, you know, George Bowie has got the favourite for the Coventry. I think that's quite a nice angle because normally it's always a an Aidan O'Brien two-year-old that is topping the market. And obviously Aidan O'Brien's got the second favourite at the moment, River Tiber. Um, but it's perhaps important for years to come that we are now looking at different names who uh, are challenging the 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 likes of a Charlie Appleby or a, an Aidan O'Brien to, with, the, with yeah. the youngsters. I mean, yeah. I like Rich, a Saturday, Rich, you, you, you know that in two years' time, you will be having the same... Com- well, if we're still going, we'll be having the same conversation. <laughs> and you'll you'll be saying to me, do you know what, Lucky? It's, it's, um, it's so refreshing just to see a name other than George Bowie heading the list for these two-year-old races. Well, possibly. I might give him more than two years. Um, maybe maybe about five or six years down the line. No? He, seek, he, he seeks to dominate, doesn't he? 20 he I was about to say, he, he is growing, isn't he? He's continuing to grow. He's a, a coming force um, at, the, at the top level. We know that he's a coming force anyway, but at the top level now, he's he's a, a regular player, you would think. Um just, I, I mean, I have no view on whether a Sadden is going to win the Coventry or not. I'll be honest, because you just don't know what these horses are capable of. I'm not sure certain what, what certain horses are going to run in. I mean, kind of assuming elite status and American Rascal are going to clash in the Norfolk. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm sitting tight on the Coventry, but it would be lovely to see, you know, uh, a stunning 
performance in that race to get us excited about the rest of the season for the juveniles. There is a nice piece if you're looking for for evidence here as to how you think a horse like a Sadna might run. There's a nice piece on SportingLife.com by Graham North uh, that you can pick up on on horses who who've run a huge time figure on their debuts and what they go on to do. Um, yeah. Horses like Dramatized last year, Brad Sell, Persian Force was second. Little Big Bear won the Windsor Castle, and and this year he's put up quite a few obviously a sadna 109 navassa island river tiber barnwell boy persian dreamer carla's way all of whom have recorded massive time figures on their debut it's a really interesting piece sportinglife.com if you want to go and have a look at that up with a lark this morning maddie Plale at ascot watching two star australian sprinters strut their stuff maddie's with me now what do we learn maddie yeah, we learned quite a lot. First time seeing both of them, Colin Gatta and Cannonball. Uh, the latter also has an entry in the Jubilee, um, but the Kingston primary targets for both. Colin Gatta, very active filly. Um, she was ponied round in the pre-parade ring um, and worked alongside a horse of Charlie Hills called So Chic. Uh, pulled well clear of her, but she had quite a, a long coat and she was she was very active. But Kieran Mayer afterwards was saying that he was delighted with her condition and with the gallop um notably she puts in a trial back home that didn't impress them too much but they seem to have overcome that now they were really happy with with this piece of work she's been in relaxing surroundings in Lambourne so they're confident that she'll she'll handle the the atmosphere on race day and um, she usually does and he was just saying that nature of hers is, is just the way she is and it doesn't stop her racing um, so yeah, they're all all pretty happy with her. Um, they think she's obviously the right type to come over here and give Australia another notable success. And for Cannonball, Peter Snowden, again, he's a very well muscled, um, big, uh, burly three year old colt. Um, he was saying he really needed the work to, you know, sort of he was ready to to take part in the exercise. And similarly, he um, sort of fired down Ascot Street. I don't think either were very very strong pieces of work but they were decent um and nothing to to not recommend both of them i know that james mcdonald told world horse racing's jeffrey riddle we're cooking on gas now as regards uh cool cool and gatter uh, and obviously last week they were all a bit quiet because her, her work before she left home wasn't wasn't brilliant i mean is that just um fighting talk going into the meeting or, or was there a genuine sense that that she was right back where they wanted her no, I think that's that's correct, and there's a genuine sort of sense of of you know she's a, a two-time Group One winner, and and she deserved to be here. Um, Peter Snowden sort of said his horse is coming into this a little bit more as as an underdog, but yeah, James, um, when I spoke to him last year before Nature Strip ran, he was very bullish. That tends to be his way, and it was well founded last year. Um, and he seems to think that this filly is progressing all the time um, and coming on with racing. You know, she's still very um, inexperienced. She's still going to have more to give. Um, so it'd be really fascinating to see how that translates to to Ascot's five furlongs. Thanks to Maddie. I was intending to be at Ascot this morning. Uh, just um, uh, events conspired against me. Let's put it. Let's put it that way. Uh, Cannonball and Coolman Gatter strutting their stuff uh, on the track there. Uh, one horse has been given the all clear now is the Hong Kong challenger Wellington. We spoke to Richard Gibson about him on the program last week. Charlotte did. It was a lovely interview as well. 
um, mainly because he said nice things about the podcast. So we like Richard Gibson. So we'd like <laughs> Wellington to win. Wellington will run in the Jubilee uh, on Saturday, where he could be joined by Big Invasion, who, although he was second to Caravel in the Jaipur at Belmont Park last weekend, is still in. And Christophe Clement says he's an intended runner. So uh, we might have Hong Kong, American, and possibly Aussie, well, definitely Aussie interest with Artorias in the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee. Well, if they all stand their ground, it will be some race. But at the moment, obviously, there's a little bit of, uh, well, uh, you know, six or one half a dozen other with the likes of Highfield Princess, who may run in two races at Royal Ascot. But I like the shape of the race with, as you mentioned, the international element to it. Artorias, Wellington, Big Invasion. Big Invasion, if he is coming for that race, I mean, he's as big as 25 to one in places for the race. Um, I like the way Wellington, I mean, he looks a really solid top class sprinter, Wellington. Obviously, he's bumped into Lucky Sweat S in, in, in Hong Kong a fair few times. Um, that's some some head to, to knock against. But he himself is a top class horse. And there was a bit of work that was posted on social media that he did, uh, I think it was yesterday, day before yesterday, um, which looked pretty impressive. Um, so an exciting addition to it. Um, I personally like Ken Ross in there, Nick. Um, I like the idea of um, Ken Ross coming to this race fresh. And I don't think it matters to Ken Ross, whether it's on soft ground, fast ground, whatever. Um, I thought he was unlucky in the Breeders' Cup mile. I'm not sure what your view of that was. Um, and I thought his performance on Champions Day was exceptional. Um, and I think he he would have a big chance. Well, Piledriver has been much in the news in recent days. Reports of his imminent return in the Hardwick Stakes. Piledriver, of course, the horse that won the King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Stakes last year and has a fantastic CV, particularly at Ascot, where at the Royal Meeting previously he'd won the King Edward VII Stakes as a three-year-old. He tends more often than not to surprise people, but surprise people he shouldn't because he's super high class. William Muir, his co-trainer, is with me now. What we haven't had the update on, William, is how that crucial piece of work or exercise went at Kempton Park yesterday how did he get on no it all went extremely well Nick um, we went we just basically always tried to do before a race we tried to go and cover the distance and just felt that the ground I wouldn't want to go to the ground and Newbury's been brilliant in the all the way through Newbury's always helped us but they've got a race meeting just coming up and I wanted to do it yesterday so we went to the all weather just covered a mile and a half just at you know a nice pace and just let him quicken all the way down the straight which he's done really well and he's come home and he's eaten and he was great this morning so in that sense it's just that actual first race match fitness that might just be the only thing that catches us out on the day but but as i've said before this is a, a mean to an end i mean yes the hardwick is a fantastic race but we've got to run somewhere for it to try and be spot on for the King George. Yeah, and he was so good in the King George last year. Why wouldn't you? Why do you think that round course at Ascot suits him so well? I just listen. I think he's just. I could I could mention every course he's been to has suited him well. Even when he went to Kempton, where I thought it wouldn't handle, and not yesterday when he raced at Kempton as a three-year-old, and he was drawn eleven. On, right on the outside and he still only just got beat because we had to drop right to the back and fly through and he only just got beat because he didn't have enough time to get there and the horse that beat him was a very good horse Berlin Tango um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know he does love us got it, but is it just because we went there we could say we only went to York once and he won <laughs> um, yeah I mean I think he's just a very good horse and when you've got horses of that calibre it just seems to handle any ground, any trip, any track. So, yeah, 
I don't, I don't know, but he, he has done especially well. He's got a great mind. Things don't, things don't get to him like you go to some of these big meetings and horses can just think about it because there's a big crowd and he just walks around and takes in everything. A bit like when we first went abroad to Hong Kong. I mean, it, I thought well, Crumbs were going to be building up in this menage with everybody else. He just walked around there like he owned it and they were trotting and cantering past either way and then he went out on the track and horses are cantering past, galloping past, never batting an eyelid. So I think I think more than anything, temperament is the greatest thing in a racehorse. He's, he's six years old now, but he's not had that many races. He's only going to have his 19th run at Ascot this year. Can you can you try and explain um, what he's done for you and and the difference he's he's made to your to your life? How you feel when you get up in the morning knowing that he's in the stable? Well, listen, the, we all we all go out to try and get horses. We buy. We've had some wonderful horses throughout our time. He's obviously been the pinnacle. He's the best. Um, but we have had the likes of Averti. We've had you know some very good fillies Sephira's Fire and uh, Enforcer Stepper Point I could go on I mean I'm trying to think on the hoof here We're I can I can, I can keep going for you Enroller Impeller Enforcer yeah how did how did Texas Gold not get a mention well he's still with me see Texas is still with me 27 years old and he's still looking after him and he goes out in the field and he babysits so yeah we've had some wonderful horses but that is what you're trying to do I mean if you got to we're not a big yard we're a small yard and if you didn't have one or two of these very good horses but when you get one it's fantastic because this is what we all want to do we want to speak to you know think you're going to the big races with a chance and I went to the King George last year and I went there in my mind we'd won it before the race Right now, in fairness, your glass is often half full, but in, in this horse's case, it's entirely justifiable. You have got his half-sister running today, the um, yeah. prosaically named Shagpile. Yeah, she's in the back of the box with us now. We're on our way to Haydock. Um, she's a really lovely filly in the making. She's throwing... I thought she would... I thought we would take a little bit longer than... But she she just thrived from her first race. I mean, she's just put condition, strength, and done everything right. We're running on different ground. Last time we ran, it was very, very soft. This time it's going to be... He says it's going to be nice, good to firm ground, which is fine. Um, but we'll see... We'll see... I think the step up to a mile and a half will be a big plus. Um... And she's, she's, well, her last piece of work was pretty, pretty, pretty eye-catching. She's definitely going the right way. And I think in next year, and, and it's like you saying, Power Driver didn't have lots of racing. This is a family that take time to get their strength. I didn't run this filly as a two-year-old. Power Driver did, but he lost his strength to his last race. Um, this filly wouldn't be overrun this year. Um, she might have four, five, four runs, if that. And then next year and the year after, you'll see her at her best. Then we've got a sister. We got the sister coming in back end of the season to be broken. That's by Kingman. Hmm. Has, has that one been named yet? No, not yet. There's plenty of names bantering around, but it will be a pile of some some description. <laughs> as long as it's not a nasty case of piles, we don't mind. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, she will get a nice name, but it will have the pile in it somewhere. Um. William, most importantly, I hope I wish you a pile of success at Royal Ascot and beyond. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Thank you very much. Cheers. William, you're there. Co-trainer 
of pile driver you you know the story now good luck to him in the hardwick stakes rishi you you've got an interesting story about the the aforementioned half sister shag pile who runs at haydock park today yeah this story was passed on to me by martin dwyer and roger devlin obviously um, part owner of um pile driver and shag pile so on the lab at the lambon open day earlier this year a member of, I believe it's Animal Rising, one of the uh, animal anti-protest groups, uh, turned up to protest at the Lambourne Open Day. Um, William Muir, as he often is, very warm and welcoming, um, asked her if he, she would like to come in and have a look around the yard, invited her into the yard um, with his charm and by showing her what how horses are looked after, it appeared that she started to change her mind about um, the the veracity of her protest um, and it actually led to the point where she then stumbled upon Shagpile who obviously is Pile Driver's sister um, and immediately formed some sort of bond with Shagpile to the point that when Shagpile made her debut at Ascot this woman from this animal aid group uh, turned up at Ascot originally wasn't allowed in because I think there is a list or there is uh, something that which she's on um, that wouldn't allow her to be uh, given access into the race course but she persevered and said to them she was there as a race goer and to see Shagpile who she felt she had some attachment and some bond with anyway she went she managed to get herself in there um, I think all the connections now know her and uh, obviously Shagpile won. She's promised to follow Shagpile wherever she goes, wherever she races around the world from here on in. So they can change. Well, next week we'll mark the first in charge of Royal Ascot as the chief executive, uh, Alistair Warwick, who's been part of the, the senior team at the Royal Racecourse for, for 15 years now. But as I say, Alistair, it's your, your first year in the hot seat, so to speak. Um, how are you feeling? Nick, uh, as you know, it's an absolute honour to have um, and be entrusted with the role for the safekeeping of, of this unique race course. You know, Ascot's been a huge part of my life for 15 years and overseeing the, the Royal Meeting in a coronation year makes it extra special. Um, I'm looking forward to an incredible five days of racing that look hugely competitive. Um, and I know that the, the team of people, having worked with them for the last 14 years, rolling into next week's 50, my 15th Royal Ascot, will do an amazing job. I think you know, our job is to put on um, some of the best racing in the world. You know, and I look at this year's uh, entries, anticipated entries, and I'm sat there looking at you know four horses from Australia, 13 or so American runners, you know Hong Kong. Um, we've got uh, obviously a huge contingent from Ireland. We've got France, Sweden, Norway. Yeah, our job is to put on the most competitive racing in the world and create the stage that actually allows um, the industry in the UK to to actually be successful. And um, um, what is the secret, do you think, to creating something that that you really want? If, if it comes down to the hard work that the team have put in over the last 15 years to remain internationally competitive in a, in a world which has become much, much more competitive. You know, but it's all about relationships in racing um, and having good relationships across all the territories, whether it be America, Australia, Hong Kong. You know, um, those relationships have really helped us and actually 
open doors for us to have conversations with people because you know it's about having the conversation with people about them entering their horse you know the guys from Kulangata were here this morning um, for their track work and um, you know you talk to them and you know you can see their enjoyment in actually just being here uh, which is something that, that actually is why people come into horse racing uh, we spoke to Nick last week a, a little bit about the the protests. It was before you decided not to take a, an injunction out. Um, can you can you just tell me how you're feeling about the the likelihood of uh, of any any civil unrest at Ascot? Well, I mean, the, the safety of racegoers, jockeys, horses, and staff are, are my number one priority for the, that week. Um, we respect all the rights for peaceful protest, and we have done for years. Uh, you know, there have been a number of demonstrations during the 14 or 15 years I've been here on various subjects. Um, but I don't support anybody doing it in a way which endangers the safety and security of the event. So that's where my concerns lie. Yeah? Or even the horses that, 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 that they, they talk about caring about. We'll have enhanced security measures, and we like Epsom are investing significantly in that. Um, but the other thing is we're working closely with the police to ensure the safety for everybody, you know, and that is everybody. Um, but if anybody does overstep the law, yeah, then it will be dealt with um, in a proportionate manner. And in terms of, of your own um, enjoyment of the week, Alistair, are, are you able to... Are you able to to enjoy it, or or is it is it is it quite tense for you? Um, I've been doing this long enough that that, that I've learned to enjoy it. Um, and, and I have to say, there's always highlights to look for, and so many things. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's you know things that I think will be appreciated by. Uh, people who are in attendance or people who see things on TV. You know, we've got the photograph, the Howden Photographic Exhibition, um, it, which has a, lo- a series of photographs of uh, the late Queen uh, here at Ascot. You know, I'm sure that will have really strong cut through with with our uh, quarter of a million customers who are here. You know, I think um, the uh, renaming of the Platinum Jubilee race to the Queen Elizabeth uh, the second Jubilee uh, Stakes will be a poignant moment. I think the King's first arrival in the parade ring, yeah, um, with his, his, will be a huge moment. You know, and that's before we get to the, the track, the you know how Frankie Dettori is going to race, yeah, yeah, whether he'll come back with with, with three or four winners this this week. I, I can take it as read then from your your last answer that the King will be making an appearance at. Uh, Royal Ascot next week. Obviously, if, as you know full well, Nick, you know, the attendance of members of the royal family is a matter for the palace. But my indicators are pretty good at the moment. Um, but you know, we won't know until actually 12 o'clock on the day when the lists are released. That's always the way it works. Um, because there are other things that do happen in the world. Absolutely. But for, for the five days next week, for all of us, the world revolves around Royal Ascot. We're very grateful for it. Alistair, thanks for your time. No problem, Nick. Well, taking centre stage in sales season this week is OBS in Florida and their director of sales, uh, Todd Wojohusky, joins us once again here on the podcast. Todd, this June sale running 13th through 15th of June uh, has become a, a bit more of a hit than perhaps it was. Just explain the evolution of it. 
Yes. Yeah, so, Nick, I think with the, uh, the kind of the evolution of the sales calendar as it's moved later into the year, um, that, uh, you know, more and more horses, uh, consigners recognizing horses may need time, later foals, immature type horses, that trying to sell them in uh, February, March or April wasn't always the best plan. And uh, because of that, uh, June has really become a, a, its own standalone sale and not necessarily uh, against the perception of it being the end of the year and kind of a cleanup sale. It, it's really become its own sale. So what sort of horses does it attract uh, usually? Well, I mean, certainly you're going to have some horses that perhaps uh, were in other sales earlier in the year. Typically, those horses are probably a little on the immature side, maybe a later foal that needed a little more time to bloom. Uh, and that extra few months, as you know, in the, in the juvenile world, that means a lot. And, and those horses really kind of blossom and come into their own. And then uh, they, they can almost look like a totally different horse in those three months. And have you had examples of horses coming out of this sale, even though it's at a fairly late stage of the year and still doing well as a two-year-old? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's too many to, to number, but a lot of these horses are further along in their training. So it's not a, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, think about it. If you buy a horse in March, there's really no place to go with those horses. Uh, these horses uh, have had, uh, they're probably a little further along in their training and most likely can go right on to the races. So give me a flavor of the catalog this year in terms of what you're what you're really looking forward to. Not unlike the other sales that we've had this year, you know, we have uh, something for everyone. Um, you know, we'll have all price ranges. You know, we have Into Mischiefs. We have Medagli Dioros. Uh, we have Regional Sires. It's really kind of a smorgasbord for the buyer. What are the most recent success stories for the the OBS June sale? I think you you had a pretty notable strike just this this last weekend, didn't you? Sure, uh, Adair Manor out at Santa Anita uh, with the big win. Um, that's just one of the more recent uh, um, major graduates that we've had out of June. All right, Todd. Well, best of luck. Hopefully, we can speak later in the week, and you can you can give us a pricey of some of the some of the key results. We'll be glad to do it, Nick. All right, Todd, thanks so much. Thank you. Todd Wojciechowski from OBS in Florida. Sale continuing today and tomorrow with an update at the end of the week. Now we are off to Hong Kong. Don't forget, Hong Kong have a big challenger at Royal Ascot. Here's J.A. McGrath with more. Hi, Nick. Most excitement in Hong Kong this week surrounds the challenge of Wellington in the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes at Royal Ascot next week. He had a good uh, trial at Sha Tin, uh, which gave Richard Gibson enough confidence to put him on the plane. He actually flies, he leaves Hong Kong on Sunday and arrives in the UK on Monday morning. So it gives him a few days to settle in before his big assignment at Ascot on the Saturday. Wellington's a top sprinter, we know that. Only lucky Swain S in recent times has overshadowed him, but he's absolutely ideal for Royal Ascot, in my opinion, because he'll love the undulations and of course he runs over six furlongs, 1,200 metres, and we know that he can be very strong at the end of 1,400 metres, which is seven furlongs. So uh, I think he's absolutely made for the job. Let's see how he arrives and if he's in good nick and with Ryan Moore to ride, I think he'll give Hong Kong punters a great run for their money. 
Anyway, in the meantime, we've got Happy Valley today, nine races as ever, and the highlight of the card for me is the Cricket Club Valley Stakes, a handicap which is race five. Number two, How Deep Is Your Love, trained by John Size and ridden by the Caulfield Cup winning jockey Michael D takes his place here. He's four wins from ten starts. How deep is your love? He's a very promising horse. He's gone up 44 pounds in the uh, ratings since, uh, since he first ran, which was only last November. He's a three-year-old by Dark Deep Field and he's a horse with enormous talent. I go for race five, number two, How Deep Is Your Love, to beat number six, Naughty Dragon. Later on, in race eight, number nine, Romantic Lau, will be long odds on, but should win. Ridden by Zach Purton and, ridden, and uh, trained by Jamie Richards. So race eight, number nine, Romantic Lau. That's uh, the uh, Hong Kong beat for this week. Uh, nothing next week because we don't have any midweek racing, but I'll re be reporting back to you in due course. Thanks, Croc. Jay McGrath, our regular Hong Kong correspondent, staying low and moving fast. And we look forward to catching up with him in a couple of weeks' time. This weekend, a nice prelude to Royal Ascot, a very important fixture at York. Yes, the racing is, as you'd expect, well up to scratch. But it's a fixture that's contributed enormously to society because it's the 52nd Macmillan Charity Race Day in aid of Macmillan Cancer on Saturday, to tell me a little bit more, Amy Swales, the York Racecourse Senior Marketing and Sponsorship Manager. Amy, it's one of the great relationships between a racecourse and a charity. How much does it mean to those of you who work at York and are involved in the preparation of the day? It is fantastically important, Nick. It is Macmillan's single biggest fundraising event and it is our um, only fundraising event in terms of a race day and it means a lot to the whole team. So whether it's Alison on reception helping with raffle tickets or whether it's the York Racecourse Hospitality team helping host um, the charity lunch, we have in the Dante suite on that day. Um, the whole team are involved right from the, our receptionist right through to the hospitality team. And to what extent is that um, 10 million target that tantalizing target not too far away really driving you this year yeah it is so close so every little will help on that day so just by attending the race day people will help support Macmillan and other charities so just by attending that gate admission will go to Macmillan and other charities so the more people that come on Saturday the more we will raise we've got an online auction that's live at the moment so people can visit our website and look through some great auction lots there um, we have raffle tickets on the day um, and uh, like I say just by attending people will be able to help us and it is normally one of those lovely big summer Saturdays isn't it and the weather looks set fair as well exactly it really does feel like racing is up and running for summer on the Naysmire we've got some big Saturdays coming up and this is when the Naysmire really comes alive so we cannot wait for this weekend just tell me a little bit about Friday because it's racing with pride race day as part of pride month just tell me a little bit about how York's going to celebrate that Exactly. So, yes, we have our Racing with Pride race day. Um, that is in um, 
relationship that we have with EBF as well. So we have the British EBF Supporting Racing with Pride race itself. And it's a day when people that um, may not have come racing from that community can come. Um, racing with Pride are here. They're hosting an informal um, area in the Edwardian Rain Room so people can come along, learn more about racing. And we are an inclusive venue across all 18 race days. But for those that might not um, have been, might want to come racing and have never been and want to come on their own, then there's people there to greet them um, on Friday. All right. Thanks to Amy. Thanks to all my guests on a busy day. Rishi Passad still with us and has a tip for you. Uh, the last race today at Haydock, Nick, I thought it was going to be a bit of a battle between two potentially very good horses in Greek Order and Coverdale. Sadly, Greek Order now appears to be a non-runner, but I think Coverdale could be an exciting youngster for Ed Bethel, who obviously had regional win on the weekend. Um, I know he's a, a very short price, but I'm hoping that he continues his winning ways. He's two from two this season, and I think he could be a pretty useful horse to follow for the season ahead. So Coverdale in the last at Haydock. Rich, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, June the 14th. Don't forget, if you do enjoy this show, please tell your friends first. And then if you've got a little bit of time, if you could rate us and give us a little review on uh, whichever platform you consume your podcast at, that would be great. We will see you again tomorrow. That was Wednesday, June the 14th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.